0: word. Are you ready? Are you ready for this? Come on, somebody say, I'm ready. Amen. Amen. I just preach what he says here. Let's go to 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. We believe the apostles were inspired by the Holy Spirit to write to us these scriptures. The book of 1 John is where we're going verse by verse uh, right now in the church. And this is the same John who wrote the gospel of John, second and third John in the book of Revelation. Let's start in verse 18 of chapter 2. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. Do you get the idea of where the sermon came from? Can I hear an amen? I mean, sometimes we have to be a little bit creative as pastors to keep your attention, but I'm so glad word for word I could just talk about today. We're going to talk about Antichrist today. Notice what he says here that we are in the last hour. Now think about this. If 2,000 years ago started the last hour, what are we in right now? We're in the last seconds probably of the last minute. Not too much time is left. He then mentions that there is an antichrist singular that's coming, but there are many antichrists that have come and will continue to come. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. He says this is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. So what we realize is that whatever is happening at this time in John's church that he's writing to, the trouble is coming from former people who used to be in the church. Now he is saying to them, they left because they really didn't embrace the message. They weren't really into Christianity as they said they were. What they were into was pragmaticism, what was working for them at the time. And when someone else offered them something better that seemed to work, get better results, they have now jumped ship. They have changed their doctrine to fit with what they want in life. Do you see this happening here? Okay, so they were once with us, but they're not of us anymore, and that's because they were never of us. Now, there can be true Christians that backslide. There can be true Christians that backslide. But this is not what he's talking about. He is saying they were fake from the very beginning. They were not sincere. They were coming around to be opportunists and pragmatists, looking for opportunities and things that would pragmatically work. Could we, could we please kick down the AC? It is about only 13 degrees outside. I don't think we need the AC on right now. Thank you. As we look at the Scripture and we hear the word Antichrist. What's the first thing that comes to our mind? We think of the end times. We think of the book of Revelation. Well, who wrote the book of Revelation by God's grace? The, the author that's writing this. So let's go to Revelation chapter 19 verse 20 and just get an understanding of what the main Antichrist is going to look like. So when we go to uh, Revelation chapter 20, we're going to learn about the main Antichrist. And remember this, we're not to learn about the end times so that we glory in the end times and that we become obsessed with the end times. This is not something you're supposed to try to diagnose every time a world leader comes onto the scene. There's the Antichrist, you know. Or write a book about the year you think Jesus is going to come back. Let's go back to the notes, good sir, so we can get that passage again. Revelation nineteen twenty, rather. Re- Revelation 19, 20. Thank you. When we look to the book of Revelation, who is it really revealing? Is it revealing judgment or is it revealing Jesus? It's really revealing Jesus. So we're not supposed to be obsessed with the bowls of wrath, the Antichrist, and so forth and so on. But there are some people who deny that these things will really happen. And Peter talked about it in his epistle. He said, these people will say, where is Jesus? Where is his second coming? When is it going to happen? You Christians have been going on and on and on about this for years and years and years, and yet nothing is changing. And Peter says, this is because to the day, uh, to, to the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. So Jesus has only been up in heaven for two days according to his time scale.'" He's coming back on the third day, just like he rose on the third day. Can I hear an amen? Amen. A lot of significant things happen on the third day. Don't have time to get into it. But I believe sometime in this millennium, Jesus is coming, probably sooner than later. Let's listen to what he said uh, John got from uh, the angel that taught him about the Antichrist. Looking at Revelation chapter 19, verse 20. It says, But the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet, who had performed the signs on its behalf. With these signs he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Now let me ask you a question because sometimes people try to say the book of Revelation, except for the last couple of chapters, happened at 70 A.D. This is really just uh, John talking about what's going to happen at the destruction of the temple and all of these kinds of things that follow. Did that happen at the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D.? Was the pit of hell opened up and two people thrown into it? Was there a mark of the beast that was given to the people who followed the Antichrist that only could buy and sell according to that mark? It would even have been impossible to do it back then. How can you tell a farmer you can't buy or sell without a mark? But you could to an urban culture say you can't buy or sell without a credit card or a chip in your, your arm or your forehead where there's the least amount of skin and a scan can easily pick it up. Don't put it in the chest. Don't put it in the buttocks. Put it right there where you can almost see your bone. Come on, somebody. You can almost just see just what a thin little layer. This makes perfect sense for the future and makes zero sense thinking that it already happened. But there is a small group of Christians that believe that. Always got to make sure to help teach them a little bit. Somebody say, teach it. So what we see here is that at the end times, there is a beast. This is the Antichrist. He has a false prophet with him. He does signs and wonders. They deceive the world. They make people take a mark. They are judged, thrown into the lake of fire. Now, let's go back to the notes and check out another scripture. Let's go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 2. Second Thessalonians is a a book written by Paul to the people of Thessaloniki, where my in-laws are from, right? Thessaloniki, praise God. So if you want to talk to some real living Thessalonians, you can talk to them after service. By the way, remember that the books of the Bible are named after people and places, Okay, So when we go to 2 Thessalonians, what do we see here? Paul talking about this same character. John calls him the Antichrist. Revelation says the beast. And here he's going to be called the man of lawlessness. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. For that day, talking about the coming of the Lord, his second coming, will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He gets thrown into the lake of fire, as we see. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or his worship so that he sets himself in God's temple proclaiming himself to be God. Don't you know that when I was with you I used to tell you these things and now you know what is holding him back so that he may be revealed at the proper time. Verse 7, for the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. Just like John said, there's already many antichrists, but the main antichrist is coming. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so until he is taken out the way, and then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the coming of his splendor. Has that happened yet? Has somebody been destroyed by the coming splendor of the Lord? Some people, like I say, Christians, they, you can be Christian and be wrong, but some Christians have said this is what happened when the emperor Nero went into, um, or excuse me, not the emperor Nero, one of those emperors went in there and defiled the temple and all of this. When that happened, did Jesus come down, destroy that man and cast him into hell? No. So what happened at that second temple is a taste of what will happen at the third temple that the Jews rebuild in the last days when the real Antichrist is revealed and all of those things happen. Now look at verse 9. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. How does Satan work? He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie to those who are perishing, or all the ways that are wickedness deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in what? In wickedness. Let's go back to the notes, please. First John packed a whole lot in those first couple of verses, didn't he? He says, Dear children... This is the last hour. And as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. We just learned about him. Revelation calls him the beast. In Second Thessalonians, he's called the lawless one. He is coming. Even now, many, not some, but many Antichrists have come. And if there were many at the last hour, how many more many are at the last seconds of the last day of the last hour? Are you guys listening? Yeah. Let's go to Matthew chapter 24, verses 5 and onward. What did Jesus say? He said not only would there be many false Christs and false prophets, but he said many would be deceived, and that if he would not cut those days short, not even the elect would be saved because that's how deceiving they're going to be. Look at it, what it says in verse 22. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you ahead of time. Now, he's going to tell us how we know when he really comes, because they, there can be people, as we're going to learn here just in a little bit, that are antichrists, who kind of look like the real Christ, or at least the pictures that we see of him in, in art, and they may have a nice smile, and they may say they're the reincarnated Jesus, or the spirit of Jesus came to them while they were in a cave or something, but watch what Jesus says. So if anyone tells you, there he is, out in the wilderness, or out in the Philippines, or out in Siberia, do not go out there, or here he is in a inner room in korea do not believe it for as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west so will the coming of the son of man be wherever there is a carcass there the vultures will gather i've even had uh you know listen to some of the false christ from the east they'll say hey we're from the east now we're coming to the west and everybody sees us Ha ha! we were doing this and i said no not even close The Bible says without TV, without any advertisement, as everyone can see lightning in the sky, the entire globe is going to see Jesus come back in a moment, and he is going to judge the earth, and there will be so much blood and flesh on the ground that vultures will be eating. That's how you know the real Jesus showed up. The real Jesus will not show up wearing a guru robe, talking about being a vegan, asking you to meet him somewhere in the Himalayan mountains. Jesus will show up, crush about 100 million people with his boot and sword, lay out flesh for the birds, and then circle the entire globe and go, I'm back. That's how the kingdom starts. You know he's there. So there's no way that a Christian could ever be deceived truly by an antichrist. But when we look at that passage at Thessalonians, let's go back there, please. In Thessalonians, it says how they are deceived so terribly. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, right around verse 10, says that the people are deceived because God allows them to be deceived. Oh, but that's not fair. That's not very nice. Why would God actually allow people to be deceived? Let's go to that passage, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, right around verse 10. It says, because they refuse to love the truth. Look at the second part of verse 10. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. So here's the deal. You didn't think you needed Christianity. You were too busy for that. You're going to be following one of these cult members, if not following the beast, putting the mark on your head. Because you will be deceived. If you do not choose the truth now, you will be handed over to the enemy then. Just like how death comes for all, you can't get away from it. All those who reject Christ during this time will be swept right into the Antichrist and to his folly. And it will be the judgment they deserve. Because they refuse the truth. No, I don't want it. I don't want it. I'm too busy. I gotta make money. Have my job. Well, pretty soon you'll be getting a chip in your head and your in your hand to keep working that job and you'll take it, just like they took it in Nazi Germany. You'll take that swastika because you're a coward, you're afraid, and you don't know any better. And before you know it, you'll be a part of the antichrist world government. It can happen to them. If it happened to them, it can happen to us. Whenever we don't love the truth, we are susceptible to a lie. If you said to me, I refuse to believe the earth is round, I just don't believe it, and you just refuse to embrace science, you refuse to embrace the evidence, and everything was a conspiracy, they really didn't land on the moon, that was filmed in Hollywood, all of that, you are now open to all the other foolishness that those people talk about. Whenever you talk to people who deny the earth being round, they have all of these other conspiracies they believe because once they started denying truth in these areas, they're just open to everything else. And the Bible is teaching us that when we refuse the truth of Christ, we're going to be deceived. Let's go back to 1 John. He says the Antichrist is coming. We know that's confirmed in Scripture. He says now many, many Antichrists have already come, and they've come from our midst. Today, as we start to learn about some of the world's most popular Antichrists in cultures all over the world, you will notice two things. They came from Christianity, and the majority of their followers came from Christianity. But why did they go to a mountain and believe that they were God? Why could the devil deceive them so much? Like Muhammad, he goes into a cave, the angel Gabriel supposedly visits him, tells him all this nonsense, and then he starts to believe it. Why was that a possibility for this man to believe that? Because he had already refused the truth of Christianity. Why was Joseph Smith able to be deceived by what he thought was Jesus or the angel Moroni and go through the whole thing we see as the beginning of the Mormon faith? Because they refused to believe the truth. Joseph Smith literally went out into a woods to pray this prayer all the churches are garbage Tell me what i'm supposed to be doing. Well, the moment you say that the devil goes i'll tell you exactly what to do so when the Mormons come to you all nice, and by the way, we love our enemies, but we do have spiritual enemies. These, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but these lies that they teach is an enemy to your soul. So you love the person, hate the lie, okay? But when they're pedaling their bike to you and pedaling that, that false doctrine, they don't tell you all of these stories. They want to say we're Christians just like you, like the Mormon wants to say. Muslims, we like Jesus just like you. But they don't want to tell you the full story about what they think about you or what their religious founders believed about you and so on and so forth. In Mormonism, they literally believe that all the religions were an abomination until God gave it to, uh, you know, to Joseph Smith. Well, once you believe that, you're willing to throw out everything then. If everything's an abomination except what Joseph Smith got, well, then no wonder you're going to believe Joseph Smith over everything we're showing you. And then when you go to hell, you're not going to go there by accident. You're going to go there because you refuse to believe the truth. I mean, I tried to show you over and over again, my Mormon friend, I tried to show you. I tried to. You didn't want to believe what I was saying over what Joseph Smith said. And it wasn't even what I was saying. It was what God was saying. So spirits deceive. People are deceived by those spirits. The spirit is our enemy. We know that. But their lie that they tell. We're also against. We're against lies. Now notice this. It says, they showed this. This was an evidence to us that they were never really with us. So, to anybody that's truly a Christian, when they see people turning from the Christian faith, doing all of this nonsense, it should just be a sign. Oh, of course I don't follow them. Of course, of course I don't listen to this guru. Now, of course I don't listen to my pastor, like the one in Philippines, who literally came back from a prayer retreat and said, "By the way, Jesus told me I'm Jesus." Uh, you don't stay in that church because that should be a sign to you. This person's not Jesus. But if you don't have the truth, you'll be deceived. And so this is where I'm trying to go here, and I believe John was going. It's not just that we're going to talk all about antichrist today. What it's supposed to do is motivate us to remain in Christ. So let's go to the next uh, passage there, next next verse, starting in verse 20. He says, but you, some may say, but I, make it personal, thank you, but I have an anointing from the Holy One. You have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write you because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. So notice we, we are taught by the Holy One who gives us an anointing. What's amazing is that John writes more about the Holy Spirit in his gospel than any of the other gospels, and he gives us the understanding of how the Holy Spirit operates with the Father and the Son. We've heard Father and Son here, and you might not trust that the Holy One who gives the truth is the Holy Spirit. So let's just go a couple chapters ahead in the book so I can uh, verify that with you, and then we'll learn the teachings of the Holy Spirit in the Gospel of John. Go to First John chapter four, verse six, just so you can understand who he believes the anointing is, where it comes from, the anointing comes from the anointed one, Christ, via the Holy Spirit, who is also the Spirit of truth. So when we go to uh, 1 John chapter 4, verse 6, we see we are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of what? Spirit of truth and the spirit of what? Falsehood, okay? Now just go to verse 2, go up a few verses in chapter 4. It says, this is how we can recognize the what? The Spirit of God, every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. Now let's go to John chapter 14. John believes in the Trinity. He is very clear with us that we as Christians don't need a teacher, a guru, a pope. What we need is the Holy One to give us an anointing, a covering, a smearing is what that word means, of the truth on the inside, and that is our personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. When we have the anointing, when we have the Holy Spirit, we have the Father and the Son. Did you get it? You have the Holy Spirit, you have the Father and the Son. Now listen to what he says in John 14. Let's go to John chapter 14 starting in verse 1. John 14 and 16 are the most in-depth teachings by Jesus on the Holy Spirit that we have. So start in chapter 14 verse 1. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And then he begins to talk about what he's going to do after the resurrection. He's going to ascend to heaven. He then says in verse 6 that he's the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father but by him. So he's, he has an exclusive relationship with the Father. So if you could follow along with me, please just kind of scroll. Thank you. Whenever we see Jesus taking the exclusive claim to himself, he's either a liar, lord, or lunatic. He's not just a good person anymore. You can't just say Jesus was a prophet. No, he's either a lying fool, he's a lunatic, you shouldn't trust him because he smells like urine and he talks to himself on the bus, or he's literally who he says he is. But he's not just a prophet among many now. He's not just a good person like Gandhi or Martin Luther King Jr. No one who's good says, I'm the only way to God the Father, unless they are actually that way. I mean, could you imagine if I said that to you? Will, I am the only way to the Father. Uh, You will never see God unless you believe in me. I'm not a good person if that's not true. And you get my point on that? So people who want to put Jesus in the good person category are, are actually not understanding his claims. He doesn't allow you to do that. Liar or Lord, basically. Lunatic or Lord. It's either or. Now, he says he's the only way to the Father and that we must go by him. Now, let's keep going. Let's go to chapter uh, 14, verse 15. He says, if you love me, you're going to keep my commands. And he says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. 14, 15, brother. Thank you. He says, I will give you another advocate. Now, notice that word, another. I will ask the Father. Who's the one I there talking? Jesus. And he says he'll ask the what? The Father. There's the second person. And he says, I will give you another advocate, another of the same kind. What does he say? The Spirit of Truth. Isn't that what John said, the Holy Spirit is? The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. Isn't that amazing? Go to John chapter 16, a few chapters over. John chapter 16, we're now going to learn how we are going to be comforted by the Holy Spirit. He then says, around verse 6 of chapter 16, rather you are filled with grief because I have said these things. So they're sad that he's saying I'm going to die, resurrect, and ascend. They don't don't want that. They want him to stay. But he says to them, but very truly I tell you, It is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go away, I will send him. Does everybody see that? Okay, so let's just pause right here and understand the Trinity. God is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Some Pentecostals want to say that God is just one person who acts as a father, as a son, and as the Holy Spirit. Their example would be, Joe, you're just one person, but when you stand in front of everybody, you're a pastor. When you talk to your kids, you're a father. And when you get alone with your wife, you're a husband. But Joe, you're just one person. Jesus, he acts as the father. Jesus, he acts as the son. Jesus, he acts as the Holy Spirit, but he's just one person. Everybody go, uh mm. That's incorrect. That's how the Bible teaches. You cannot have the Bible and that belief at the same time. The Bible uses plural, and we will send him to you, the Father and the Son. We just learned about that in John, the Father and the Son. How is he being both at the same time? He can't be. He can't be. That's, the, that, that's taking away what we believe is the law of non-contradiction. A cannot be non-A at the same time. A cannot be B. A is A and B is B. But how do they share their divinity because we don't believe in three gods, we don't believe that there's three parts of God. Maybe Jesus is 33.3 percent part of God, one third the Father's, one third the Holy Spirit. No, no, we equally uh, we believe they are equally God, but yet not the same person. And the example that we have of this is the example of creation when God made humanity, He made them male and female. How many persons is that? Okay, are those two different kind, kinds of humans? No, they're both humans. And then they said, be fruitful and multiply when you have children. Are your children less human than you? No. So the human race is one race, one kind of people, but they are multiple persons. Now, what is the difference in that analogy between us and God? God actually shares his divinity with the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, whereas I don't share my humanity with your humanity. We're not like conjoined twins or something like that. But God is God and we're not. But when he made us, what did he say? I'm making you in my image. Plural persons, how many is God? Father, son, spirit. What does he do with us? Mother, father, child, right? Like plurality in persons. Here's the God family. Here's the human family. And then what does the Bible say? When man and woman come together, they become one, ahad. One is the same word there in the Hebrew that says to the Jewish people, pray this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one. Thy Lord is one, ahad. Deuteronomy 6, 4. No contradiction, Multiple persons sharing one nature, just like multiple people in the human race share one nature in the sense of we're all human. Now, sometimes people go, well, you know, in the Trinity, Jesus said he can't do this without the Father, and then the Spirit only does what the Father and Son says. It looks like they have different roles, and so that must mean they all can't be God. If if Jesus can't do something without the Father's help, then how can he be God? Because God doesn't need anybody's help. First thing is they don't, they don't understand the incarnation. When Jesus became man, he didn't come here to walk on water to impress us. He came to show us what God could do in man, that man can do this with the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why the Holy Spirit ascended on him, not that he would walk around here glowing all the time, but to show us his intention for man, not to walk around as Superman. In other words, he became a man like us, but he never stopped being God. And then the next thing that that he did that for is so he could die for man's sins. Because if he was not really a man, if he could do whatever he wanted at any time without submitting to the Father, then was he really truly a righteous man that could take our sins? No. So he became a man, was a righteous man, and then died for our sins in a real body. And then somebody says, well, how does God die? If he's God, how does he die? First of all, when you die, you don't stop existing. Your spirit lives on. Jesus' divine spirit was still there after the body died. He's still God. How many know that? How many know if you put on a space suit, you're still human? How many know if God put on an earth suit, he's still God? Now, once again, a little bit more technical is that Jesus was actually human as he was God, 100% man, 100% God. But then they try to say, well, but still in the book of Revelation, he submits to the Father. It says in Paul's writings that he submits to the Father, all things are brought under Jesus, and then Jesus brings himself under the Father. Well, let me ask you a question. If my wife brings everything in the house under me, does that mean my wife is not human like me? My wife and I can share in humanity even though we have different roles. Just because Jesus and the Holy Spirit have different roles doesn't mean they're less God. Just because in my family we have different roles for wives and children doesn't mean they're less human than me as their father. The father has a father role. The son has a son role. The Holy Spirit, the advocate, has a supporting role. But all of them are God. Not three gods, but one God and three distinct persons. Would you like to see that? Because before I teach you about false Christ, I better teach you about the real Christ. Is that okay? Okay, so let's go to the book of Genesis, where it all began. Let's go to Genesis chapter 18. When we see the God of the Jews, the God of the Bible show up, he shows up as the Lord. Look at Genesis chapter 18, verse 1. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre. How many know that's pretty cool if God shows up to talk to you? Okay. Now, when we see the word Lord all capitalized, we know that's the God of the Bible. Yahweh is the Hebrew word. Jehovah is the English word through German, but it's yo vahi in Hebrew. So you either say Yahweh directly from Hebrew, or you go through German to Jehovah, or you say Lord in English. We're all talking about the same person. Amen? Yes. And according to the Bible, there's only one Lord. There he goes. He goes showing up to Abraham. But hold on. There's a problem. Who wrote the books of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy? Moses, so the same one who's telling us this story also wrote the book of uh, Exodus. So open up a new tab right there and put Exodus 33, and let's see what happened when Moses wanted to meet face-to-face with the Lord. Exodus chapter 33, Moses says, God, will your presence go with me, around verse 17, and then in Exodus chapter 33, verse 18, Moses says, now show me your glory. And the Lord said to him, I will cause all of my goodness to pass in front of you. I will proclaim my name, the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. I'm going to do a lot of great things for you. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see my face and live. Okay, let's make sure we're following. Uh, David, would you go back there and help them out today? It seems like they're struggling, but I appreciate you, Alex. And that was Exodus chapter 33, verse 19. Now, when we see that Moses, the author of Genesis, goes, hey, guys, uh, I've already asked God to hang out face-to-face, and he said no. Don't you think he realizes there's a contradiction or something maybe we don't understand when we go back to Genesis 18? Let's go back to that passage. It says here, the Lord appeared to Abraham. Now, one of two things either happened here. Either the Lord appeared without a face, or there's two people who have the name Lord. Think about it, either the Lord appeared without a face because Moses already asked to hang out with him face-to-face or there must be two people with the name Lord. Now, we see that he comes with two visitors. Those two visitors turn out to be angels. They go to Sodom and Gomorrah. Then the judgment comes. Let's see what happens when the judgment comes. Go to Genesis chapter 19. Is anybody learning something today? Amen. Go to Genesis chapter 19. Let's see what happens when the judgment comes on Sodom and Gomorrah. How many believe judgment is still in the Bible? Some people say, well, God's a God of love now ever since Jesus came. Well, you haven't read the book of Revelation then. The Jesus that you think is only going to love comes down with a lot of fire and wrath, okay? Okay, now look at verse 24 of chapter 19. Now, remember, the Lord came and met face-to-face with Abraham, hung out with them, had a meal. Two angels then go off to go judge uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, to go check it out before the judge, rather. And then uh, Abraham hangs out with uh, Yahweh face-to-face and and asks and intercedes if you won't judge Sodom and Gomorrah if there's 50 righteous. And he starts, you know, uh, having that intercession. But then eventually, the judgment's going to come. Look at verse 24. Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from who? From who? From who? The Lord out of the heavens. Oh, what just happened there? Uh, hold on, i got to scratch my head here. I thought the whole entire point of the Bible is we only have one Lord. But now we see that there's a Lord on the earth, same capital L-O-R-D. That means it's the Hebrew word Yahweh. The Lord on the earth says, hey, Lord, rain down the fire and brimstone. Now go back to Exodus chapter 33. Did Moses know something about this? Oh, yeah, Moses knew something about this because in the same exact chapter of Exodus chapter 33 where God said to him, the Lord said, man, you can't meet with me face to face. You can't see me or you're going to die. Just go up a few verses to verse 11. Exodus chapter 33, verse 11, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. How is that? Moses, are you dumb? You're asking to speak to him face to face. You've already been speaking to him face to face. And then God, did you forget? You've been speaking to him face to face. Why do you tell him nobody can see my face now and live? I wonder if it goes back to Genesis being two people with the name Lord. I wonder if the Father is saying to him, you can't see my face and live, but I'll pass by you. And Jesus is going, hey, but I'll hang out with you every day. Because there's only one way to the Father, and that's through Jesus. And that's the same one, Jesus, before he came in the flesh, that met with Abraham. And then while he met with Abraham, they interceded, they talked, etc. Then he goes over to Sodom and Gomorrah, Jesus, and says, Father, send it down. Now, I wonder who can explain this to us in maybe three verses. Let's go back to the Gospel of John chapter 1, verse 1, verse 14, and verse 18, and see if John puts together the entire mystery for us. Who is this God that's been walking around saying, you can see me, but you can't see me? Who is this one that's saying that, you know what, I'm not going to ever come down there because I'm too holy, but I'll hang out with you and wrestle with you and do, do what I did to Jacob and all this? Let's see if we can see an apostle bring it all together for us. Here's John's beginning of the gospel. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. Two persons, word and God. Word is God, but he's not the God he's facing. Go to verse 14. The word became flesh, made his dwelling among us we have seen his glory full of grace and truth does everybody see 14 right there the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth so now who's the word the son who's the God that he's facing the father but he's also God isn't he so is the son but let's keep going go to verse 18 third verse ties it all together no one has ever seen God But the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him. Wow. Aren't you glad you came to church today? So before we get deceived by foolish people talking about their Jesus or the Spirit of Jesus came in them or or now they're the second coming, let's just know who our God is. Let's let's just know who he is. You can look at the baptism. Father speaking, Son in the water, Holy Spirit coming down. That's not three parts. That's three persons, one same God. Mountain of transfiguration, Father speaking, Son there, cloud of God's glory. The one name with the three persons. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Matthew 28, and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Let's go back to the notes in John. We see that the Bible says... You have an anointing from the Holy One. The Holy Spirit, in other words, is in you giving you the truth. That's why you should reject anything that comes outside of that. Now, you may not have known all of the Bible verses and how quickly I could manage through the the text and show you everything, but you should be able to discern what is of the Holy Spirit and test it by the Word of God. I am a teacher, but I am not your capital T teacher. When you first came to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, was it because of just what a person was saying to you or was it because of what the Holy Spirit was saying to you? When I was sitting at my mother's kitchen table when I was 18 years old, it was nothing in her role as a mother that convinced me of Jesus. It was as she was speaking, Jesus was speaking to my heart, saying things to me that she could never know or never say, and I knew who Jesus was. More than a feeling, the Holy Spirit was confirming the truth. And then the Bible says if you deny that he's the Christ, you don't get to have the Father. So sometimes people say, oh, we all worship the same God. We all worship the same God. Is your God the Father and his son Jesus Christ? And is Jesus the Savior of the world? No, 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 we don't believe in that. Then you don't have the Father like I do. You don't have the God like I do. Because if your God does not have a son named Jesus, he's not the God of the Bible. And then sometimes people say, well, my Jesus would never judge anybody, never send anybody to hell. And you could just go thumbs up. I agree. Your Jesus would never do that because your Jesus doesn't exist. Your Jesus is make-believe. Your Jesus hangs out with Snuffleupagus and the Tooth Fairy. But the Jesus of the Bible will judge. The Jesus of the Bible will do a whole lot of things that you don't like, and he's not asking your permission. So there can be Antichrist. But watch, watch. What do we do with those Muslims, Jehovah Witnesses, and Mormons who all go, oh, I believe Jesus is the Messiah? Mormon knocks on your door. You ask him, is Jesus the Christ? Because I don't want to mess around with any antichrist. They'll go, of course he's the Messiah, of course. Jehovah Witness, same thing. Even Muslims will say, we even have it right here in the Quran. He's the Messiah. What's the problem with that? We're only using one test. The scripture here in 1 John was directly to a congregation that was having people leave the truth and start saying that Jesus was not the Christ anymore. So he's telling them, if they still want to call themselves Christians, but they're denying Jesus as the Messiah, they don't have the Father either. Don't listen to them. But that's not the only test we're supposed to use. We're supposed to go to the scriptures and find other tests. Go to Romans chapter 10, verse 9 to hear Paul's test. Are you ready for Paul's test? Let's see if Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, and uh, Muslims can pass this test. We know that they can't, but let's go here. And We love them, and after they get an F, hopefully they'll come back to Jesus and get an A. Amen? Amen. And how many have got an A with Jesus? It's all his grace. Amen. Amen. We don't take credit for ourselves. It's all his grace. Now notice this, Romans 10 verse 9, very popular scripture. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is what? Come on, say it again. Jesus is Lord. Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Okay? We've just lost Muslims. Muslims don't believe he was actually crucified or raised from the dead. They believe he was just taken to heaven. So you cannot do this and be a Christian and a Muslim at the same time. Impossible. Islam came about 600 years after Christianity from a man who saw it, said he saw a, a spirit in a cave. I was told to be warned against those who say they hear spirits and talk to them in a cave and deny my gospel. Amen. I'm following these boys who came right after Jesus touched him, saw him, and told me he raised from the dead. So can't be a Muslim now. Not possible and be a Christian at the same time. So they're talking about another Jesus. Hey, who, Jesus, the one who sells uh, in Lotes. I don't know what Jesus Muslims talking about. But you ain't talking about the one in the Bible. Now we're left with like groups like Mormonism and his, uh, uh, Jehovah Witnesses. They'll go right there with you. Yes, yes, he is the Messiah. And he's Lord, like, like landlord. Like your landlord is, is over stuff. Jesus is over stuff. But if you ask them, is Jesus Lord like the Father is Lord? Both of them will say No. Mormons will say, no, 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 he's not like the Father. The Father created Jesus, Father God when he had sex with one of his many mother gods, and then him and Satan had a fight, and that's what brought good and evil to the earth, and the the ones who sided with Satan as spirits became black people, and that's how we see the world today. And by the way, they're not going to tell you that, but ask them about that. That is true, and that is what they believe, and I'll show you that not only in in my writings, but in their writings, because I quote them. So now we have a problem with the Mormons. The Mormons are claiming that Jesus is a created spirit baby out of a polygamous relationship that the Father had. Does that sound like the Bible? No, because in the Bible, he says he is the first and the last, that he's from the beginning and the end, that he has no start. He encompasses what we call a start. Before time was created, he was there. In the beginning was the Word. He was already there in the beginning. He doesn't have a beginning. He's there in the beginning. Can I get an amen? So he's there at the beginning. So you can't be a Mormon. But what about the Jehovah Witnesses? Oh, uh, they'll say, you know, he's not God like the Father. The Father created him as a lowercase g-God, and then he gets to do all of these God-like things. But how many gods are there according to the Bible? Only one God. You can't have two gods. Now they'll try to come back at you and say, are you saying he's the Father? You say- No, no, no. We never said he's the Father equal to the Father. But how do I know from this simple passage? It's not landlord. It's the Lord we learned about, Yahweh, Jehovah. But let's keep going to see if that's true. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth you profess your faith and are saved. So this is important. We have right doctrine. As the Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is neither Jew nor Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all. How many lords are there, friends? Only one, but let's keep going. And richly blesses all those who call on him. And I love Paul because watch what he does. He makes a quotation for the, from the Old Testament. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's go to Joel. Let's see where Paul got that from. How many want to see where Paul's quoting from? Go to Joel. The book of Joel, chapter 2, right around, I believe it's around 30. Let's see what Lord means there. Does Lord mean whoever calls on the landlord will get their plumbing fixed? Or is it talking about the Lord of lords, the King of kings? Hallelujah. How many are having trouble finding the book of Joel? If you are, you're like me with big fingers. Uh, Book of Joel, chapter two. You got it up there for me, brother. Thank you. Let's go uh, down a little bit. Here we go. Verse 32. And everyone, well, no, you know what? I want to show them a little bit more of the context before we go. To, go to uh, chapter two, starting around verse 10, I believe. Thank you, Lord. Joel, chapter two. Go to verse 12, rather. It says, "Even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart with fasting, weeping and mourning. Rend your hearts. I'll uh, rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your. what? God. Your God. Return to the Lord your God. God. So the Lord of Joel is God. He's not a landlord. He's a creator, the only one God. Are you with me? Now go back to verse 32, same passage, just a few verses later, "And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved." So going to Romans when he says, if you believe Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. Is that just saying like the Jehovah's Witnesses? If you just believe he's a good landlord, he's in charge of some stuff, he's a good guy. You just got to profess him as that. Is that what it's saying? No, you got to believe he is Yahweh, the one who saves. Is he the father? No, but he's Lord like the father. Going back to John in our notes. So beautiful. Don't fall for the lie. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Let him teach you through the scriptures. Don't just say the Holy Spirit's your feelings and do whatever you feel and say the Holy Spirit said. No, the Holy Spirit's the spirit of truth. A lie can't come from the Holy Spirit. And the scriptures will confirm as you're listening and learning how to be led by the Spirit. Because what does an antichrist do? Well, an antichrist in this situation, someone who's against the real Christ, they deny Jesus as a Messiah. What other kinds of antichrists are they? Someone who denies that Jesus is God. Or that Jesus is Lord. That's another kind of antichrist. What's another kind of antichrist? Jesus talked about those who are against his message are antichrist. So even though somebody might be like, I'm cool with Jesus. Well, are you cool with his message? Because if you're not down with his message and his ethics and all those things, you're really not for Jesus. You're against Jesus. A lot of people say they love Jesus, but then when I tell them what Jesus said, they get mad at me. And they try to say, well, you know, I like Jesus. I just don't like Christians. No, baby, that don't work like that. I'm just telling you what he said. He said sexually perverse people go to hell. That's not my words. That's his words. He said those who are lustful go to hell. That's not my words. That's his words. He he said that if you go to anyone else other than him, you're a thief and a robber and you can't have the Father. Now, if you get upset about that, you're not liking Jesus. You have a false Jesus. And the Bible says that we are to know better than that because we have the Holy Spirit. And so even though... When I became a Christian, I didn't know everything about Christianity. I had the Holy Spirit walk me through it. So as I began to learn the ethics that I wasn't supposed to lust anymore, I went with that because I knew that the same Holy Spirit that made me a new creature in Christ made me alive, born again, was the same Holy Spirit that now was going to take lust out of my life, was the same Holy Spirit that was going to teach me how to love my enemies. In other words, I wasn't going to make a God out of my own image and call that Jesus, an idol. I was going to let the Holy Spirit tell me who the real God is and grow and develop me. That's what we're supposed to do. So it's okay if you say, I don't know all truth, no one knows all truth, but here's the thing, you know somebody who does, and he sent his spirit to live on the inside of you, can I hear an amen to that, let's go to the last passage here today, as for you, somebody say, ask for me, make it personal, ask for me, see that I continue in what I've heard from the beginning, or in other words, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you, so don't change, believe the Christian faith. Stay true to the Christian faith. If it does remain in you that truth, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. Do you see that? You will remain in those two persons. When you believe what the Holy Spirit is telling you about the truth, you will remain with the Father and the Son. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. Didn't didn't John pen those words down from Jesus? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that he, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's what we're promised. He said, I am writing these things to you. Somebody say, to me. John's writing them also to us that you would not be led astray so that you would know about those who are trying to lead you astray, it says. And as for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you don't need anyone to teach you. Now, if that was true like they didn't need a teacher, then, John, why are you teaching me about not needing a teacher? But how many know what he means by that? You don't need a guru. You don't need a priest. You don't need somebody that you set up between you and God. That's not how it works in Christianity. You don't need to know Christianity is true because somebody told you it's true. You'll know it's true because what the Holy Spirit tells you is true. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you don't need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches, teaches you about all things, and that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as has taught you, remain in him. Somebody say, remain in Jesus. Remain in Jesus. Amen. You remember, you, you remember in this now, remain in who? Jesus. Okay, now I'm going to show you some antichrists. Put up the picture for us, please. These are some of the most popular false movements, antichrists and false teachers of our day. Some of them have already died, and they've showed us that they were truly a false Christ. Here's one from the Philippines. He says he's the real Jesus. Here's one from Siberia. Here's a guru right here from Jamaica. This was the Puerto Rican Jesus. He's dead. Reverend Sun Young Moon and his wife, he's dead, the Moonies. Here's a guru here that he'll let you dress him in gold, and he'll tell you he's Jesus. Adi Da thought up here he was Jesus. He's dead as well. This man right here thinks he's Jesus. Here's a perverted Jesus, I think, in Russia. Here's a woman that says she's mother of God, and she was married to Jesus. That's weird, mother married to son, but he's now dead, and she's still calling herself mother. God. Foolishness. Foolishness. This is where we are at now. Did not the Bible say, we are in the last hour. The Antichrist is coming and many Antichrists have already come. And here they are. And I've met some of the followers of these different groups and I've talked to them and they're blind to the truth. Why is that? Because they've refused to believe it. Let's just talk about this person up here, Adi Dai, to the top right. How I learned about him was going down Fullerton. In our neighborhoods. This is not somewhere way off over there. And I saw this picture of him on like a, a sandwich board advertising for, for people to come in and learn about him. So I stopped, and, I, and I'm always studying cults and reaching out to them. And at that time, he was alive, and they told me all these lies about him and what they thought was true about him. And I, and I said, well, what are you going to do when he dies? And they go, well, we don't think he'll ever die. You know, that's, that's, that's not part of our belief. We think he's going to usher in this new age and all of that. Well, a couple years later, he died. And then I called him back. And I say, how's that going for you? He's dead now. And they were like, oh, but you know like how you Christians still love Jesus, you know, even after he died? I'm like, no, baby, it ain't the same. My Jesus rose from the dead. People saw him, and then he ascended to heaven, and he sent the Holy Spirit. It ain't the same. And go to First John chapter 1, verse 1, because our apostle took time to make sure that he would tell us, we're not just believing spiritual Jesus, like Jesus just raised from the dead spiritually. No, we believe in an actual fact of the matter. When he wrote, he said, these things we write to you, which we have from the beginning, which we have heard, which our eyes have seen, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. They touch the resurrected Lord. Going back, amen, going back to these clowns, let's let's get rid of some more of their foolery. The guy guy from the Philippines says he went up to the mountain and Jesus said, I've given you my spirit, now you're Jesus. Would you please click on it? When you hear that, that is lies. Jesus never said he'll come back spiritually. He said he's going to come back, split the mountains, split the clouds, come like lightning, and judge the earth. You don't need to hear about somebody spiritually being Jesus. It's a lie. And then some of these other new age ones, they, they incorporate Hinduism with Christianity and they make it alluring to people who are supposedly Christians. I had a woman in our church following a guru very similar to this. She had come from other churches and she was starting our discipleship and we got into her life and found out she was attending yogi, uh, yoga classes. Now, be careful with this because you know, doing this is not demonic. But if you're doing this and you're saying it unto a god or chanting things, that is demonic. Be very careful. So we started to ask her, what kind of yoga are you, uh, you know, are you doing? Are you just doing the stretches? Are you just going to the export doing something? Or are you unto a guru? And I encourage everybody to ask that question when you meet people like that. Ask them, are you unto a guru? Because guru means master. And the Bible says you can only have one master. Amen? So who's your guru? It's Jesus, not anybody else. So anyway, she told me about this person, and she said, oh, oh, it's, it's, it's okay because they embrace Christians. Oh, yeah, they love that. Why? Because when they embrace Christianity, they're doing it to their own benefit to deceive you. So she didn't believe me. I called them up, and I said, I'm a pastor, and I want to ask you a question. Is that guru a man that claims to be Jesus? Does he claim to be an incarnation of Jesus in some form or fashion, that he's the enlightened one, he's the Christ? And in clear words, that woman on the phone said, that's exactly who we believe he is. And I said, if I as a Christian believe he is an antichrist, can I still come there and do stretches with you? They said, of course not. You're against what we believe. I went to the Christian, and I love the laughs, but I went to the Christian, told her that. Did she leave the guru or leave our church? Left our church. And you wonder why there's a hell. You wonder why there's a hell. I'm not trying to say this to be mocking, but I'm telling you, we wonder why there's a hell. God says you can't have two masters. You can't have two masters. It was shown to her clearly. This person claims to be your master, your Jesus. That's part of the whole get up here is he's your Jesus. And yet she wanted to leave our church as opposed to leave that guru. Now some people have told me, "Well, Joe, I've met these kind of folks, and, and they tell me, "You're the cult, and you're this. Well, of course that's what they tell you, friend. Of course, the criminal's going to tell you, like on home alone, I'm just here to get pizza or, or check out the house, or I'm a police officer. Of course, that's what they do. Of course, it's but tested it by the word of God. Tested by the word of God, did anybody in the Bible believe that Jesus was coming as this man up here, dressed in gold, uh, putting a dot on his head, symbolizing his his sacredness and all of that? No, we were told very clearly: as he went up in the clouds, so shall he come down in the clouds. Every eye will see him; they will see those. Uh, they will see the one in which they pierced. The Bible says, "We will see the piercings on him." But here's the thing, because let's not just beat up on everybody that's following a false Christ. Let's be honest. Why do people follow them? Well, let's first just take a look at them. They, they all look kind of nice, don't they? They look like the kind of people you would want to learn from. Boy, he, he looks like he's a gentle man, has, has wisdom to give you. Boy, this one looks just like the pictures of Jesus. But here's the thing. They're playing upon your emotion. If you're looking for nicianity, they're they're your people because they'll offer you you things in Christianity, uh, offer you things that Christianity doesn't. And that's where I began to study as I learned about their followers and as I look at their YouTube videos and the people responding. See, it starts off with people in Christianity going, I don't like how this Jesus is. This Jesus tells me that homosexuality is wrong, the Bible Jesus. Oh, but this Jesus tells me right here that homosexuality is just part of nature. It's part of natural life. This Jesus teaches us, you know, this Jesus teaches you there's many ways So now I feel good about my Muslim friend. If he dies or she dies, she's going to heaven. I I don't want to believe that. You know, if you're not a Christian, you're going to hell. And so what I began to realize is they're playing on the ideas of nicianity, being open to all types of beliefs, and then luring in Christians who are dissatisfied with the truth of the Bible. Because what, what did Jesus say to the disciples when he first met them? Come follow me and I'll get you sexual freedom. Come follow me and you'll have a lot of money. And you'll be, you know, like a lot of these Hollywood gurus have these people like that guy in the middle, you know, say all these blessings on them. They're so superstitious. A lot of times you'll see them wearing the Hindu garbs and all of that or the jewelry because they, they've been given to them by gurus. These gurus will sell to them pieces of their cloth and they'll wear them as bracelets. You'll see them on like Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie. These pieces of the cloth that they've given to these gurus for large donations. As a matter of fact, that guy looks more like uh, somebody out of the Raiders of the Lost Ark or Indiana Jones than Jesus, right? And it's true. They have found temples in poor, desolate places in India with billions of dollars of gold because they stole it from the people, got it from the people, and didn't care anything from them. That's why a Christian-based person like Mother Teresa had to go to India and help out the pagans. But now listen. They may seem to offer something to the Westerner. Why? Because the Westerner doesn't want what Jesus said, come follow me, and I will make you fisher of men. No, they want to come follow Jesus and have self-discovery. I want to discover the God in me. That sounds just like Oprah, doesn't it? And there's somebody that's willing to make that happen for you. And so when you look at their followings, it's not uh, just ignorant people. No, most of them, like what John said, came out of Christianity, and most of all of these people on the screen came from Christianity. This man once used to be a pastor. You see, John was warning us of a real time. Let's go to the next image, please, of a real time that it's going to really come down to this. You will either remain in the genuine Christ, or you'll fall for an antichrist. That's it. Those are the two choices that we now have. We either resist what the world is pushing on us as religion, and one of the funny things that I've asked some of them is, what do you say about everybody else who says they're Jesus? You know, What do you, else, what do you say about all these other guys saying they're God? They're like, well, they're wrong. We're the right one. Oh, I bet. That's, that fits your plan perfectly, doesn't it? But here's the thing. They don't see it because they're deceived. Why do we see it? Because we're in Christ. But if we came out of Christ, we'd be just as deceived, wouldn't we? Let's make it a little bit more personal to us. Some of you have come to this church, and yet you've lived a double life. And you deceived us, and you deceived others, and you pretended you were one way, but you were really another way. You didn't fool Christ, but you weren't serving Christ. You were serving another Christ yourself or that perversion. Some of you have tried to get away from God's call and tried to say God didn't tell you this because now there's a God over here telling you this. And what you don't realize is that you switch listening from the real Jesus to a Jesus you made up. Jesus, that's okay with you shacking up or living with somebody you're not married to or uh, having an abortion to your convenience when you don't want the child or living in bitterness when you don't want to forgive your enemy. There's now a personal Jesus that keeps telling you you're okay. Because here's the thing. If you listen to all those antichrists and all of that, you'll see emotional people. You'll see that they touch emotions, that people are crying, that people fall out, they shake, they sing happy songs. But you see, Christianity is not just a feeling. It's a fact that comes from the truth. And so you can be deceived even by your own feelings to think you're okay. But you've left the real Jesus a long time ago. So how do we become who God wants us to be without saying, I know Jesus and you don't. Everybody else is an antichrist except me and my church. How do we, how do we balance this out? We have the real Jesus from the scriptures. And we walk in grace and humility. And we say, listen, listen. I'm abiding in Christ, not because of anything I've done, but because of who he is. I, I, I ask you to come. Come on, leave Father Tom behind. Leave, leave the Pope behind. Come on, let's, get, let's just get to Jesus here. Come on, leave your guru behind. Come to Jesus. You may not know it all, but you'll know the one who knows it all. And he'll lead and guide you, but you've got to be willing to stick with them. As Rachel comes, can I read one more passage from Jesus out of John? Go to John chapter 15. Leaving that, passage, uh, let that picture up, please, just because I want you to have the image. Imagine you're with Jesus, and you're on the mountainside somewhere in Jerusalem, and he starts talking to you about abiding in him, like how you're a branch and he's the vine. I want you to get that image as we read this. You can follow along in your Bible as well, but let's leave that picture up. It says, I am the true vine true vine. You notice Jesus talking there. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Are there things in Christianity that are rubbing you wrong? That's actually normal. And guess what? It's supposed to rub right out. It's supposed to get cut right out. Well, I don't know if I like the the way God tells me to be married. Well, I don't know if I like the way God wants me to raise my kids. Well, I don't know if I like the way God wants me to spend my money. Well, that's natural. A lot of people don't want to do that either. I get it. But let them cut it out. Let them prune you. Because the Bible says if you don't, then you get cut off. Listen, folks, we either get cut out, the bad stuff, or we get cut off. God changed me then. Lord, if I'm not understanding how I'm supposed to treat my wife, I'm not going to go find another Christ to tell me it's okay to cheat on her, have multiple women as my guru does. No, Jesus cut out of me my perversion. Cut out of me my disrespect for my wife and the union of marriage. He says, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. And I know some of you can relate to this even as backsliders. You said, okay, I'm in the vine. I have this fruit, fruit of the Spirit, fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. But I also want a little bit of the world. And when you went from the fruit of the Lord to the fruit of the world, you knew instantly something changed. If you were honest with yourself, come on, backsliders, you know something changed. How many have been a backslider before? You know something changed. And at that point, listen to me, especially if you're here right now, you have a choice. Do you get honest with yourself, repent, and return back to God, or do you follow another Christ? But I've been there. I've been upset at things in church. I've been upset about how Christianity was working in my life. And I said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to do this my way. And I realized that my way got me cut off from that. And it didn't take too long for me to wake up like the prodigal son in my pigsty eating the pig slop to realize, man, the Father's got something better for me than this. So the Bible is saying we can even do one step better than that. Don't leave. Just stay in this place, even if it makes you feel uncomfortable in this culture. We love people, right? We love them, but we don't like what a lot of them are doing right now. But we're going to stay. We're not going to leave. I'm not quitting my job over it. I'm not leaving the city over. I'm not moving to a commune. I'm gonna stay here connected to Jesus and bear fruit. If this is our Babylon, then I'm gonna be a Daniel. Throw me in a lion's den if you want, but I'm gonna bear fruit for Jesus. Amen. He then says, I am the vine again. You are the branches in verse five. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Somebody say, "Much much fruit. Thank you. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and are burned. You know, sometimes people say, well, you're threatening me. No, I'm not. But Jesus is. And he threatens me too. Because if I don't do this right, what happens? I get cut off and thrown into the fire. There's not a third option here, friends. It's heaven or hell. Our Jesus threw it in. Listen, soft piano music, beautiful picture here of a vineyard. If you don't do this, you get cut off, thrown in fire. Thus says my Lord, the Lord and Savior Jesus. He says, if you remain in me, though, and my words remain in you. This is why it says not make-believe Jesus. His words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This will bring my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. In closing today, as the band and altar workers are coming, I appreciate you listening to a you know controversial message, but pretty normal for us around here. My question is, are you going to remain in Jesus, or are you going to fall for another Jesus? I pray that should the Lord tarry 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now, you can leave that picture up, good sir, thank you. I pray that all of us will be remaining in Jesus. I pray that you will remain in Jesus until you go to meet Jesus. Can we just... Close in prayer, everyone just looking at their heart. Number one, if you're not born again, ask Jesus to come into your life, forgive you of your sins. Say he is Lord, he's Messiah. Hand over your life to him right now. Those of us who are already Christians, would you look at your heart? Would you see anything that needs to be cut off and then just say, Jesus, have your way. Oh God, cut it out so I don't get cut off. Cut out my attitude, God. Cut out perversion, God cut out the attitude that I have towards uh, receiving correction when I'm wrong or when I'm not humble take out the pride Jesus and lastly will you make it your heart's desire to pray and to reach out to people with, without the real Jesus think about people right now as you're praying that don't have the real Jesus maybe they have the Jesus of Catholicism that's always hanging on a cross always looking sick You know, maybe they have a Jesus of Islam. Maybe they have a Jesus of Hinduism. Pray for them to meet the real Jesus. God showing up all throughout the Middle East, showing Muslims himself, showing the real Jesus to them. There was just a story of a new age guru who just got saved. He met the real Jesus. Come on, let's pray for them. So no matter who you are, those one of three things can be a part of your life. Accept Jesus. Number two, live for Jesus. Let him prune you. And number three, we should go out and change the world for Jesus. A few more moments. Let's pray one of those things right now. Use us, God. We want the real Jesus. We want to be fruitful. We want to be fruitful. We want to be like you. We want to believe you. We don't want to do what the world says. We want to do what you said. Transform us. Change us. Help us to love those who speak so ill against you, oh God. Help us to help these who have refused the truth. May their hearts open back up to you, God. We know judgment's coming, but may it not start yet, God. May another be saved. May another leader repent, God. May another movement come to you, Jesus. We know the days are evil. We know it's coming, O God, but we pray for mercy. We pray for mercy, O God. A few more moments. Save us, God. Prune us, God. And send us out as your witnesses. Even if right now you want to come, you can. We'll stand in just a moment in worship and dismissal. You can still come and pray then, but even now you're welcome to come. Jesus, we love you today. You have given us the anointing. We have your truth. We have your words. Transform our lives. Help us to abide in you. Think about that grape right now. And just think about abiding in Jesus. Bearing that fruit. Oh Lord, bear much fruit in us today. Much fruit. Prune out the bad to make more room for the good. And all that we do. And if you could stand to your feet and say amen, it would be a good time to give them a hand clap of praise. Come on. The real Jesus. Amen. The one and only. The first and the last. The beginning and the end. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. We love you. Amen and amen. You are dismissed. We're going to worship. Feel free to come up and pray and worship with us. Otherwise, we'll see you at life groups. Thank you for coming. Have a great week. We love you. We love you.